0: Welcome fellow brave believers to Kingdom Context, our podcast. This is Kingdom Cast. I'm Sean Griffin, your host, and we welcome everyone for joining us tonight. This is our first podcast, so I'm kind of excited and a little nervous. I don't know why. I've done live streams, I've done videos before, I've done debates. But for whatever reason, it's just, uh, I guess I'm so excited about this podcast, I just got myself all nervous and worked up. Oh, wait a minute. I need to, I forgot something very important. One second, let me go to... Um, let me go to this real quick. You guys can have a gander at this again. And I'm back. I can't, I can't forget my, I can't forget my, uh, my special hats, my special beanie. Just for uh, kingdom, kingdom and portion, excuse me, kingdom context podcast. Um, I hope everyone's doing great tonight. Thanks everyone for being here. We got some people already waiting in the chat. So I appreciate you joining us. Uh, cover to cover with Jeremy Peers, welcome. Dee Murphy, welcome. Kingdom Truth or Crazy Taco, The Line Within Us, welcome. Elias Stewart, Elkins 25, welcome. Uh, let me see here, Christopher Gomez. Uh, Yahweh King, Yosef and Bible, welcome. It's good for everyone to be here. And this is our first podcast. So I'm excited. We're going to do some fun things. Um, we're going to take comments and questions throughout. So be sure to drop your comments as we go. Uh, looks like someone 18 is here. Welcome, Tanya Roel. Welcome. Hope I said that right. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. And if you missed the, the opening, um, if you missed the thumbnail uh, or the opening tonight, we're actually going to be part of our segment in addition to some other concepts we're gonna be talking about atheists and looking at some of their arguments uh sky the dome watchers here welcome good to see you, sister and thanks for everyone for joining us let me see here all right let us if you haven't already since this is our first podcast and if many of you may not be familiar with how youtube works basically is like how what requirements they make of the content creators to have a channel to run a channel and part of that is that if you want to do a live stream like you're watching right now you have to have at least a thousand subscribers so i've created a new channel that we're going to have just for kingdom and context podcasts and it's called kingdom cast so that is uh it's in um i think i put it in the video description if not i'll put it in there afterwards but it's definitely in my recommended channels if you go to my actual youtube main channel page and you go look at recommended channels kingdom cast is there so if you would wouldn't mind helping me out go ahead and subscribe to that because that's where i'm going to re upload these initial podcasts that i'm live streaming here i'm going to be uploading them over there after the fact um until i reach a thousand subscribers and then i can actually podcast directly from that channel so that's that's my goal. Uh, so help me out. Help me reach a 1,000 subscribers over there. If you're watching this, please go subscribe. And that way you'll be uh, notified of just the podcast alone. So that way we're going to try to have some differentiation if possible. All right. Let me see here. Please go do that. Um, all right. Let me see here. Thank you, everyone. One second. Let me fix something real quick. Here we go. So if... Yeah, there you go. Please go subscribe to the other channel. And also, if you're hitting this, hit the like button. And if you haven't already subscribed to our regular Kingdom Contacts, do that as well. That really helps us out. Uh, Drew Palermo, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Uh, Let me see here. Clayton Linhart's here. Hey, what's going on? Good to see everybody. Thanks for joining me um, this evening. And this is something that I'm hoping to I'm not hoping. This is my my steadfast plan that I'm going to be doing this Monday through Thursday at nine o'clock Mountain Center time. So I think that's ten Central, eleven Eastern. But as always, if you're not up that late, you can you know you can check it out the next day or whatnot. But um, th- my goal in doing this is to take live interaction more often because I, I really you know the, the when we started the channel we were just making pre made videos. Um, I didn't have the software like that was as good as what we have now, so that I could actually do live streaming and interaction take questions and things like that so finally it's available to me and it is um i think it works pretty well and i love that the actual interaction be able to talk with people take questions live and just hopefully it's a blessing you know because that's it is to us that's you know when we think about ministering to people you know there's different types of ministry that people do and it's not always just the preaching right it's not always just the prayer it's not always just uh, serving or helping and and what we feel is our gift in, in ministry is teaching and so in order to do that you have to have interaction with people and me making a one-sided video that you watch later it doesn't always get that kind of interaction so that's why the, the live streams are good and and we're excited to be here so uh russell Lafleur, hey what's up man good to see you brother and uh, let me see here west plays music is here hey let thank you for being here tour bears here welcome back brother and uh david shearer welcome brother good to see you They should join us. So my goal is to make these 15 to 20 minutes long, not very long, but as always, I try to make things meaty and relevant to us. And first, just starting out tonight, um, I want to just say a big thank you. And down on the bottom of the screen, these are all of our patrons. So I just want to say a big thank you to our patrons. Um, You guys are amazing. You, You really help us get to where we are today. Um, everyone else that has donated to us or supported us with love, prayers, messages, and also, you know, finances, um, outside of Patreon, we love you too. We thank you too. You guys have been a blessing as well. A huge blessing. These, these folks have been with us in a, in a, like a monthly c- capacity, basically that's why we even d- started a Patreon page It's just so people, they may not do one-time gifts and may want to do, you know, $5 monthly or whatever. So that's why we started doing that. And so these are, these are those, that crew of people and uh i just want to give a huge shout out to you and thank you because you guys are a blessing to us we appreciate you all right and let me see here we're also going to be looking at tonight we're going to be looking at um some arguments from sam harris he's a prominent he's a prominent you know atheist speaker a lot of atheists use sam Harris. he's a considers himself a philosopher but a lot of atheists will use his arguments to actually make their arguments right they think that he's cool and we're going to look at him a little bit on some of the stuff that he says. Um, let me see here. James Carter's here. Welcome. Good to see you, sir. All right. And let me go over here. Before we get into some of the arguments from atheists, let's actually look at a proverb. In Proverbs 25, 6 and 7, I'm going to share my screen and get us over there real quick. So in Proverbs 25 says, do not claim honor in the presence of the king. and Do not stand in the place of great men, for it's better that it is to be said of you, come up here. Than for you to be placed in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen, and if you're not familiar, guys, this is what Jesus was quoting in Luke 14:7 through 11, where he says, and he began to speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this man. And then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place, but when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He goes on to say in 12 through 15, and he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return. That will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who eat bread in the kingdom of God. (laughs) All right. So many of you that have been following our channel for some time, you probably can see some unique phraseology in this unique passage. Not only is Yeshua repeating and elaborating in a teaching manner on Proverbs 25, six and seven, but he's also, he mentions that the reward for this, right? So he's actually Explaining why the proverb is there in 25 in Proverbs 25. And the reward for this, this humility will then grant you honor. And this is when you'll be rewarded at the resurrection. You, you remember the whole concept storing up treasures in heaven idea, right? Where miles and rust cannot destroy. That's that's the mention here is that your good deeds will be rewarded to you later at the resurrection, not always in this lifetime. And that is where we sometimes have to swallow our pride. We have to swallow our sense of gratification, our sense of acknowledgement that we've done something worthy of reward. it just doesn't always come to us in this lifetime. It's not always something that we can get that, that immediate pat on the back by someone. Maybe no one even sees you do a good thing. Maybe your lack of action is the best thing that you could have ever done. And that is what the father sees. And that's what he'll reward. You see what I mean? So in this case, in this specific case, when you're actually inter- engaging with other people in a public setting and having meals together and having a public dinner, you know, to, to humble yourself, you're blessed as a result of that You will be rewarded at the resurrection of the righteous And then what I think is fascinating Because I'm always talking about the gospel of the kingdom of God And so was Yeshua, that's what he's talking about here Because the, the, resu- of, excuse me, the resurrection of the righteous Is the moment that happens on the day of the Lord Which kicks off this thousand year reign of Yeshua right uh, On the earth, and when the new Jerusalem comes down That's the kingdom of the righteous, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven Descends to the earth, resurrection of the righteous That happens at the last trumpet that happens in the the dead in Christ are raised to go live in that kingdom that comes down to the earth. That's part of our inheritance and reward. This guy who's some guy whom it was in the in the crowd when he's teaching, he actually shouts out, Blessed is everyone who'll eat bread in the kingdom of God. See what I mean? So he's whoever his audience was understood the message of the gospel of the kingdom. And this is the paradigm I hope to install into people's minds through our teachings through our channel because it's so important guys this is the message that all the prophets and yeshua taught and as and because of that we're getting validation in this little passage in the response to yeshua in this little passage this teaching that someone in the crowd understood it too because they were all supposed to understand it that was the central theme and message of the gospel of the prophets that was the the word gospel means good news in case you're unaware That's the good news, guys. Yeshua is a part of that. His life, death, and resurrection is 100% a part of that good news. It's not the only part of that good news. Yeshua is the king of the kingdom. He's the one that's actually going to help bring the kingdom to a reality on the earth and rule as king of the earth and high priest within the kingdom. And his story on how he attained that position and got there is super important and builds your faith. And it's amazing because he did it for you. But at the same time, it's not the end of the story. We're still in the middle of the story. And in our culture, I started this channel because I noticed that so many people did not understand that story. They did not understand that we're still in the middle of it, that it is an ongoing event of us discipling, awaiting to get to the actual kingdom of heaven for it to come and be a reality on the earth so that there's no more war and that everyone learns the behavior of God. And that is the great fulfillment. It's called the end of days, the consummation of the times, as many scriptures refer to it. So. I, that's just my me trying to hopefully bring some awareness to you that this is something that's super in my opinion it's super important for people to understand th- um, the atmosphere of the teaching. you see what I'm saying so if if today if you're at a banquet at your church say to do a potluck, I mean if this is hopefully your your churches have opened up and and you're able to go back if you're watching this and you go to a, a local church. so if not, sometimes you um you may go to your potluck at your church, your get-together, your fellowship, and people are hanging out and doing stuff. And if you were to stand up and start talking about the kingdom of God and your reward at the resurrection of the righteous, how many people do you think would understand what you're talking about? How many people do you think would would shout back, blessed is everyone who, who eats in the kingdom of God? So many people are just waiting to, quote-unquote, go to heaven. And yes, that's where the kingdom of God is going to be, but that doesn't, that doesn't always... That's not, that's such a vague description of the beautiful reality that we have awaiting us. So that's where the details, in my opinion, definitely matter. All right. Andy Pandy says 24. I'm not sure if he's answering my question or if he's talking to someone in the chat, but, let me see here, David Shearer, I think he's, he's adding a complimentary scripture to what we just talked about. And, um, yeah, Andy Penny is correct. Jesus never missed an opportunity to glorify the Father. Um, and I'm guessing that's what you're meaning, Andy. Uh, let me see here. Rest the floor is adding to another scripture. I think that was a little bit before. Uh, it's three three chapters after what we just read. Yep. Absolutely. We definitely want to be profitable servants to the to the Messiah. We are discipling underneath him. Hey, real quick, everyone. I want to do a quick sound check. I want to make sure everyone can hear me. So let me know if you can hear me. And um, I don't know if you can hear me or not. <laughs> so I'm going to check the chat and see. I don't know what my, I know that you can't hear me, but I don't know, like, is the volume good? Is it low or is it high Is it sound okay? Because unfortunately I can't hear myself. Otherwise I get double feedback. Sound is good. Says Torbear. David Shearer says looks good. Sounds good. Okay, thanks, guys. All right, so um, let's go into looking at this guy. Okay, this is a gentleman that's very popular in various circles. Okay, so he is—he's one of those characters that. One second, let me remove this real quick. He's a character that is, um, you know, he's been around for a while. Many of you may have seen his debates with different Christian apologists. And he's considered a you know philosopher, a neuroscientist. He has his own podcast, so it gets him a lot of exposure. Um, he talks about all sorts of things, is a wide gamut. He's also a New York Times best-selling author, and he's been on you know interviewed on radio, TV, other really high-profile podcasts. And this gentleman is what a lot of atheists and young young. Students coming out of college, they look up to this guy, like he is their, uh, he's their celebrity culture of today. As far as someone that just can quote unquote destroy or demolish Christianity, and that's what they believe about this guy, um, because they think his arguments are so amazing, right? And uh, has anyone seen the uh, the debate that I did? It's not really debate, the interview when I was interviewed by an atheist, and I uploaded it to my tour apologetics. Did anyone see that? Let me know in the comments if you saw that. And if you did, you may have noticed a very common trait that you saw with the gentleman talking to me and interviewing me is the same thing we see with people like Sam Harris and people like Christopher Hitchens, other people. They ask a bunch of uninformed questions. So just like the Proverbs 25, Luke 14, just like the gospel of the kingdom backdrop and all of its details, which is something that we're constantly talking about on here on Kingdom in Context, um, and subsequently also we'll be talking about a Kingdom, Kingdom Cast. That backdrop, that understanding, that foundation—none of them know it. So naturally, all their questions are really poor questions. And then you see a lot of very well-intended, very loving you know, fellow believers who are Christian apologists. Who may also not understand that under that theological underpinning of what jesus's message actually was which was the same as the prophets of the old testament so therefore they try to respond to bad theological arguments and questions from their own misunderstanding <laughs> of the foundational premise of scripture and so you just end up with a lot of of circular art not circular arguments but You end up with the debates you see, you end up with the type of debates where you have one guy, he's trying to play gotcha with his wording, with the way he forms a question to make you look silly. And then the Christian apologist doing his best to remain calm and composed and to exude the fruit of the spirit as he returns that volley with his own volley. But the volley that he returns, it doesn't make any sense to the person that he's talking to, to to men like this. It just doesn't make any sense at all. Because they because they and in my opinion, they find a lot of valid holes in a lot of what mainstream churches are preaching because the theology is missing the core central message of the resurrection of understanding the day of the Lord, of the millennial reign, of the New Jerusalem as an in inheritance, of what is covenant, what does it mean? What does actual discipleship according to Jesus look like as far as pertaining to emulating the behavior that was listed out in the law of God. So naturally, it's hard for them to understand, Um, The arguments that Christians give them back for answers. So I want to inform you guys. I want to do my best like I do with all of my uh, with all of my uh, broadcasts. And I want to do my best to inform you, to help you be prepared when you answer atheists, because I had a lot of people write to me and comment to me about that interview the atheist did with me. And they were um, congratulating me and complimenting me on the way I was handling, you know, the nonsense being thrown at me. Right. And I was doing my best to remain patient just to say, look, you know, your question just reveals that you don't know the book you're criticizing. And that is that's that's going to be part for the course. As far as our disposition, what we have to get used to in our mind and our heart to be mentally prepared for when we speak with unbelievers is that they love to criticize what they don't know about. It's just the natural inclination of man. Um, to mock, to make fun of, to make light of, to twist. And sometimes they twist you know innocently because they simply just don't know the details. So tonight let's look at some ideas. Have you guys ever seen Just Judgment? See anyone in the comments if you've never seen it. Um oh thanks David Shearer David Shearer dropped the, the Tour Apologetics episode that I that I put up that I was being interviewed by Pine Creek. He dropped that in the chat if he wants to go watch that later. But what we see on the screen here, guys, this is Just Judgment. It's episode two of my tour apologetic series in the playlist on Kingdom of Contest. Excuse me, Kingdom of Context, our channel, and you're welcome to go check that out because we're going to be uh, looking at something real quick. And I want uh, I want you guys to keep that in your mind because that's the video that you're you're going to. I'm going to be speaking and referencing some of the theological concepts and scriptures from that video as we address Sam Harris's arguments. Let's look at those arguments real quick, and I'll try to pull that up and get that ready so that we can take a quick look at them and see if I can do this. This is podcast style, guys. All right. Can everyone see that? I'm going to try to turn it up so you can get the good volume. Y'all let me know in the chat if you can hear what he's saying. All right. Yeah, Crazy Taco, you're right. Can anyone hear what he's saying? Yes or no in the chat, anyone? Can anyone hear what he's saying? I'm gonna pause it real quick, cause if you can't, I don't know if the screen share is carrying the volume through as well. Uh, one, one second guys, let's try this again. No, as people say no. Okay, let's try this again. All right, let's try this again.
1: Well, that was all very interesting.
0: All right, everyone, um, tell me if you can hear the audio. Ask
1: yourselves, what is wrong with spending eternity in hell? Well, I'm told it's rather hot there, for one. Dr. Craig is not offering an alternative view of morality. Okay, The whole point of Christianity, or so it is imagined, is to safeguard the eternal well-being human souls
0: is that the point of Christianity guys? that's his first claim that he put forward in this uh, short segment here is is the the whole purpose of Christianity to safeguard souls is that is that is that a good description because that's the first part of an argument that he's gonna try to make let's listen to it one more time real quick
1: offering an alternative view of morality okay the whole point of Christianity or so it is imagined is to safeguard the eternal well-being of human souls.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's not to safeguard the eternal well-being of human souls. That's a byproduct, is that it, it? the soul gets a new body at the resurrection when Yeshua returns, and that's the byproduct of putting your faith in the Messiah, that he is the Messiah who wants to do that for you, that he was sent by the Father for that role, because that's what he accomplishes through his priesthood. But what about all the unclean spirits that used to be souls that are still souls that are just disembodied is that is that the whole point of it let's keep listening though
1: dr craig is not offering an alternative view of morality okay the whole point of christianity or so it is imagined is to safeguard the eternal well-being of human souls now, happily, there's absolutely no evidence that the Christian hell exists. And I think we should look at the consequences of believing.
0: Yeah, let's put in the comments here, what do you think he's talking about when he says there's no evidence that Christian hell exists? You see what he's did real quick? He went, He made a huge claim. He then justifies that claim, following up immediately with something else that is from what I talked about earlier, a Christian answer that's been given to him now this specifically when the one he's referring to is some of the Catholic version of hell, where there's the eternal conscious torment idea. And this is, we've talked about this and great to tell on on kingdom and context and go over all the scriptures about the process of Sheol waiting the resurrection or judgment being thrown in the lake of fire, Matthew 10 28. So we understand that this gentleman—he's working off a foundation of an answer from Catholicism, which claims that you're going to be burning in fire forever—and he's going to actually keep following up with this in just a second. I'll, I'll...
1: in this framework, this theistic framework, in this world, and what these. Is...
0: Yes, crazy taco. In in light of what were what his definition of hell is? Yes, he's there is no factual evidence that the hell that he's referring to, which is the catholic version of hell, which means a person goes and burns in physical pain in a place of eternal conscious torment forever. There's no evidence of that even in scripture, much less in the physical natural world that we can experiment d- demonstrate and test. So there yes, if, this is what we call a, you know, strawman argument. He's he's putting up something even though unfortunately for a lot of you know Catholics, this is not a straw man argument because this is what they're taught and they believe. But this is how easy it is for him to twist the wording with a vague definition of a word. That's why you saw me make a joke during that interview with Pine Creek about, you know, I, I thought my interview was going to be mostly me just defining words from Scripture because that's most atheists don't use the right definition of the words.
1: Moral underpinnings actually would be. nine million children die every year before they reach the age of five. Picture picture an Asian tsunami of the sort we saw in 2004 that killed a quarter of a million people. One of those every 10 days, killing children only under five. That's 24,000 children a day, 1,000 an hour, 17 or so a minute. That means before I can get to the end of this sentence, some few children, very likely, will have died in terror and agony.
0: All right. So, this is what's called an emotional appeal, guys. He's going to use statistics that are unrelated to the argument he's about to make because he's about to contradict himself and talk about abortion. And he's going to, he's using an emotional appeal of something that sounds grossly horrific that's intended to pull on your heartstring in order to emotionally subject you into a corner. So, if we're using, um, For all the men watching, if you're using a boxing analogy, this is him trying to back you into the corner so that you then have to uppercut your way out or bounce off the ropes or get more tricky because you don't have any footing beneath you. So this is something that he is he's using intentionally and uh, (laughs) his they should give him a taller mic because him looking through his eyebrows is, is pretty funny to me, but you shouldn't. You just be aware when you're addressing arguments like these, when you're trying to speak to unbelievers, specifically atheists, this is how they're trained because this is the people they listen to. They want to give an unrelated fact so they can use that fact to try to emotionally manipulate you into an argument that's, un, you know, unrelated or, or a straw man. Okay.
1: Think, think of the parents of these children. Think of the fact that, that most of these men and women believe in God and are praying at this moment for their children to be spared. And their prayers will not be answered. But according to Dr. Craig, this is all part of God's plan. Any God who would allow children by the millions to suffer and die in this way, and their parents to grieve in this way, either can do nothing to help them or doesn't care to. He is therefore either impotent or evil
0: all right do you see do you see that the the twist so he's trying to make an argument for children dying under you know and again specifically children under five here's some statistics from around the world we use a big number and therefore this must be evil because as most argue our atheists will argue if he's an all-powerful god why doesn't he stop all these people from dying Yet all of it ignores the narrative of the Bible is that people are responsible for what they do, right? That you're, there's an action for what you do. So as God will not be mocked, he sows, reaps, right? For whatever you, you sow unrighteousness, you will reap unrighteousness. And this is a, a very, um, this is a topic that atheists will just completely overlook in light of making god look like the bad guy who's like a negligent landlord right or like a an abusive uh, negligent father that just refuses to deal with the child right or save the child when we have the abundance of opportunity in scriptures where we we have massive stories about just what's recorded in history from scriptures but also in people's personal testimony where god has come through in their life and done stuff or saved them miraculously at sometimes and sometimes naturally but the point is there is still this thing called life that we deal with, and each con- each action and decision has a consequence. And sometimes that consequence can affect innocent people around you. That's why sin is destructive. That's why we're told to abide in the behavior of the Father, as Yeshua tells us in John chapter 10, uh, verse 8 through 11, John chapter 15, verse 8 through 11. And that, that's how we find our joy because just as Yeshua abided in his father's commandments, we would abide in Yeshua's commandments, which his commandments were to do the father's commandments, right? To do the behavior of the father so that there's joy, there's peace, there's there's um, good results created around you, right? This is Deuteronomy 28, that you'll be blessed in the things you do if you're abiding in this behavior. If you don't, you get all the these bad consequences that pop up in Deuteronomy and that these are all the negative things that are going to happen as a result. And many times it's affecting the community around you, even your children. So this is very important to understand like the general premise of the father, the way the father organized stuff. So you can evade some of these trapping arguments like this, um, especially from well-spoken men like this.
1: And worse than that on Dr. Craig's view, most of these people, many of these people certainly will be going to hell because they're praying to the wrong God. Think about that. Okay, through no fault of their own, they were born into the wrong culture where they got the wrong theology and they missed the revelation. Okay, they're, they're
0: 1.2. All right. Do you guys hear that? So now he's talking about people in other countries outside of quote unquote Christendom, which is something that we see in North and South America a lot, as well as Europe. Um, in fact, it's all over the world. He's you know, but these are blanket arguments that they ignore, right? They ignore the true statistics um, and try to do what he's about to do and talk about a billion uh, Hindus, right? In India and claiming that just because they're born in a different culture and they're raised somewhere that they're just going to miss out because they're praying to a different God. All of that assumes that those people have never had a chance to hear the gospel, to make a decision. He's ignoring the two, 300 plus years of missionaries that go to India Right, that have been there. And for what's more, he's also ignoring everything that I talked about in the second, um, the Torah Apologetics episode, Tumor Two, Just Judgment, that I put on the screen earlier, right, where I explained to you how Yeshua actually judges us based off of our behavior and how much in line it was with the Father. So remember, these are people that he, and when, and he's doing this in Matthew 25 after he comes down with the angels and routs out the wicked. And he's going to bring the sheep and goats before him and judge them. So the whole point of that is that means that you didn't make the resurrection. That means more than likely the people that are rounded up to him that survived the day of the Lord, that you weren't a believer. And among those, he's rounding out the sheep and the goats. Those who will actually have exhibited the behavior of the kingdom, he keeps those because they have shown a heart for the, to learn and do the father's ways. But yet they came from a country where they were not taught about the father because of deception, because of again, the consequences of the battle of life that we live in between not just the angelic beings and the unclean spirits, but also men doing the bidding of, you know, evil and creating all these horrible consequences of deception in other countries, stifling out the message, the good news and, and how, what kind of behavior leads to life and goodness around us. So as a result of that, um, you're going to have a lot of people that Yeshua judges by a standard of righteousness that's outlined for us in the scriptures. So when an atheist comes to you with this argument, saying, "Well, what about all those people in other countries that they grew up and never heard anything?" Like, okay, well, Yeshua is going to told us the standard by which he judges those people in Matthew 25, 31 through forty-six, and that standard is specifically with a group that didn't make the resurrection, and they survived the day of the Lord, and they are brought before the King. Its New Jerusalem's already set down. And he judges them and he judges some of them to be their behavior as he lists out, did not follow Torah. The other people who did their behavior did follow the the instructions of God, the Torah. He says, come enjoy the inheritance, right? So they get to stay in the kingdom. Now they don't get to inherit the new Jerusalem. They get to live outside of new Jerusalem as the survivors and persist and rebuild the world outside of it. But then when they die, if they persist in that godly behavior of righteousness um, they then can be brought in, right? If they, haven't rejected the Messiah in their heart because he's their leader. You understand? He's the leader of the whole world. He's the King of the world at that point during the millennial reign. So um, this is why we've emphatically tried to share with people that the standard of behavior that the father gave us in his word, which he calls the commandments is eternal. It doesn't go away. It's the standard by which everyone on the, on the earth will be judged by at every point of judgment we see in scripture, whether you've already died And then you're resurrected or you're not resurrected because you you stay in Sheol and wait to be uh, brought before him at the second resurrection at the end of the millennial reign. Or whether you make the first resurrection or glorified with him. Or whether you live through the resurrection and the day of the Lord as a survivor and you don't get killed and you don't get resurrected. And then you're brought before him and judged. And also at the great white throne judgment at the end of the millennial reign. All of those different judgments that apply at different times in different contexts. The same standard of judgment. The same judge is used in the same law book. And he's looking at your life. This is why it tells in Matthew 12, 36, every word and deed will be, will be accounted for, that we are judged by our words and our deeds, right? So there's he and the people that did not hear of him in Matthew 25, their deeds align with the Father. They're, brought, they're able to enjoy the kingdom and they're not killed. <laughs> they're spared from judgment, uh, from death, j- judgment of penalty, of death penalty, but they're, they're brought in to experience the kingdom. It's, it's amazing. It's beautiful. So um, that's where when you see arguments like this, and like we're about to see a few more minutes of this, you can quickly pick apart their misunderstanding and what they don't understand about our high priest, Yeshua, who's also our judge, and his role. So this is him about to pontificate with questions that are out of context to who Jesus is and what his purpose will be in judgment. A
1: billion people in India at this moment, most of them are Hindus, most of them therefore polytheists. In Dr. Craig's universe, no matter how good these people are, they are doomed. If you are are praying to the monkey god Hanuman, you are doomed. You will be tortured in hell for eternity. Now, is there the slightest evidence for this? No. It just says so in Mark 9 and Matthew 13 and Revelation 14. Perhaps you'll remember from the Lord of the Rings, it says, when the elves die... They go to Valinor, but they can be reborn in middle earth. I say that just as a point of comparison.
0: That's him inserting mockery. You'll hear the, you'll hear the, the people laugh after this, but he's just inserting mockery to, to win the audience to his side. And this is the tactic that they use in order to win the audience to this, to your side, they try to remain lighthearted. They try to remain witty and funny because comedy is a extremely powerful tool in persuasion. And therefore, they use it constantly because their arguments fall flat the moment that you actually apply scriptural context to their arguments. So they have to have the people on their side. So even when their arguments fall flat, the people still like them because they like their personality. So that's why it's our challenge to see through these things. And it's our challenge to remain loving, um, but also to remain informed. And this is why, you know, we're always saying read the Bible, guys, learn your Bibles.
1: so God created the cultural isolation of the Hindus. Okay, he engineered the circumstance of their deaths in ignorance of revelation. And then he created the penalty for this ignorance, which is an eternity of conscious torment in fire. Okay, on the other hand, on Dr. Craig's account, your run-of-the-mill serial killer in America, okay, who, who spent his life raping and torturing children, need only come to God, come to Jesus, on death row, and after a final meal of fried chicken, he's going to spend an eternity in heaven after death. Okay. One thing should be crystal clear to you. This vision of life has absolutely nothing to do with moral accountability. Okay, and please notice the double standard that people like Dr. Craig use to, to exonerate God from all this evil. Okay, we're told that God is loving and kind and just and intrinsically good, but when someone like myself points out the op- rather obvious and compelling evidence that God is cruel and unjust, because He visits suffering on innocent people of a scope and scale that would would embarrass the most ambitious psychopath.
0: Did you guys hear that? I'm gonna put this comment up here as well because they kind of go together. James Henry saying, we cannot expect non-believers to know God as per First John two three. So what this guy just did, this Sam Harris guy, is he just equated the behavior of God's judgment at various times throughout the scriptures, and and I, I'm pretty sure right here he's alluding to the flood as to being a psychopath, someone that's willing to kill a whole bunch of people, right? Ignoring completely the context of those judgments as lined out, as outlined in scripture, ignoring completely the behaviors of the societies committing those atrocities that that brought judgment upon themselves, and ignoring completely. The definitions of those atrocities of what's listed out Leviticus 18 and through 20 of the mass, uh, just oh, I can't stuff. If I if I said it, YouTube would block me, right? So I got to be very careful what I say. So um, the, the whole concept is that yes, you're right, James Henry. When you're when you're addressing an argument like this, and someone's trying to tell you that well, God's just a mass murderer, or he's just someone that's like a psychotic behavior because he's just going to go in and say, oh, this whole this whole place needs to be wiped out. Well, it's for one, you're forgetting that the leaders, their decisions affect the people around them. And there was many times that there was a surgical precision done with certain battles in 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 the scriptures. But there was other times when there was blanket judgment, like Sodom and Gomorrah, that was done over several cities. And the reason for that is because of the way that God waited to the point where, as he says with Abraham in Genesis 18, there's not even 10 righteous, there's not even five righteous. So he's waiting with long suffering so that there's repentance, but then finally the hammer has to drop at some point. So that means all along the time that he was waiting, the injustice is happening to little boys and little girls and people of which they complain about in another argument, right? Why why is there evil in the world? So therefore why does the injustice allow God to allow injustice? But then when God actually brings the hammer down and judges him, why is he such a psychotic mass murderer? to do that to all these people. You see what I'm saying? So it's a it's a double, the whole point of it escapes the context of the scriptures. So whenever they're bringing very blanket, vague arguments like this, make sure you get them to drill down and actually give you specifics because all they're doing right here is drive by criticism and name calling. So yes, you're right, James Henry. We we cannot expect the um, the non-believers to know God because as First John two three explains, knowing God is walking in His commandments. And if they're not doing that, yes, we can't expect them to know God. But we can inform them. This is why I'm always mentioning Mark four fourteen. The sower sows the word. So if we can inform them more about the details of God's words then the spirit can use that information that got in them to to bring them to repentance over time. So this is why the sower sows the word. We let the Holy spirit do the work. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. I've never dragged anyone to repentance. That's the Holy spirit's job. My job is to sow the word. You see what I mean? So um, let's do just a, just a little bit more. Um, I see we got a lot of good questions, a lot of good conversation in the chat. I think I've gone over, guys. I, I was hoping I'd be able to keep this to like 20 minutes. But I think I've gone over. Um, um, I don't know if looks like uh, Russell. Russell's asking about innocent people. I'm not sure if you're talking to me or someone in the chat. Um, let me see here. Ger- Gerard Perry is asking. Can you make context? An atheist friend posted a gotcha update on his Facebook page today, asking why Christians trust anonymous gospels but distrust anonymous sources <laughs> in the New York Times. Um, well, yeah, this this could be taken in so many different ways. For one, um, anonymous gospels, there is a ton of sourcing for the gospels as far as actual manuscripts that we have. So. Um, many of them are not anonymous. That's, that's a very subjective claim that's brought on by, you know, atheists over time. So that's, you just have to look up the actual research as far as how we got our new Testament and all the manuscripts available. Um, there's a lot of good research out there. There's a lot of good people that present that work to you, but more than anything, um, the the whole argument that your friend is posing to try to to make it gotcha is that sources in the New York Times are making a claim about who knows what kind of political story that are not sourced right. The the info this totally different information. I we're talking apples and oranges here as far as that the context and relevance of the information within an, in a news article like the New York Times compared to a, a books of scripture, which are trying to tell you how to live your life in ways that will either benefit you or hurt you. Whereas the New York Times is you are given an op ed or just a you know this is what. cuomo did or whatever de blasio i don't know their names this is what they did recently and this is what it turned out this is the policy this is how the people didn't like or did like it and this is what you know some some person we interviewed their opinion on it whereas scriptures is talking about giving narrative of events of, of what happened as a historical narrative mixed in with scriptures of theology of how to live your life in productive ways and specifically when we talk about the new testament it's it's centered around the messiah because that was such a huge moment of fulfillment of the part of the father's plan to get that high priest that we needed so he could minister in the father's tabernacle for us. So that is information that when Yeshua says, like we read tonight in Luke chapter 11 about, you know, humble yourself so that you may be uh, praised later, don't praise and, and glorify yourself. Otherwise you may be humbled in the sight of men. That's something that we can test. You see what I'm saying? That's a huge difference in information. I can't test the random claim of some lady that's mad in New York city because she doesn't like rent control. And therefore she's trying to start a movement to get rid of rent control. Right. And they claim they got 10,000 people that are mad. I can't source that. And I can't, you know, and that, that's, you know, it depends on the claim, whether it's here or there, but as far as the information in the scriptures, that's something that we are asked to test for Thessalonians five, right? We need to test all things. So this is the big difference in the application of the information. Why does it matter if it's sourced to someone else's specificity, right? To some PhD or some guy at, at a university that he says, "Well, I don't think the manuscript that we have for the Gospel of Mark was written in AD forty-five. I think that it was actually written in AD seventy, and so there. And I think it was, I think it was co-authored by Luke. So I'm not sure that we can trust it because I don't believe in the sourcing and the, val- the historical criticism of that text." Well, that's what some guy at Cambridge says who has some letters in front of his name. And he says that in opposition of all these other people for 2,000 years that have validated the the actual manuscript as being valid. So if that's all that you've heard is the most recent criticism of it, then that's what you're going to believe. So this is why in Kingdom in Context, we're always asking, even if the scriptures that we have, like we did our Honor of King series, even if the scriptures that we have today are... Something that you um, you you can't find like to your satisfaction. You can't go physically hold the the original copy of Genesis in Aramaic in your hands. You can't do it. So therefore, you have to rely on copies that were made through time. See what I'm saying? So all these standards can be a false stumbling block to be put in front of you to try to get you to doubt your faith. These are arbitrary standards made up by men. Well, what have I been saying since we started? And this is the this is the um, foundational backdrop that I would hope everyone would test all the books in the scriptures against. And that is the the consen- excuse me the consistent and central message of all the prophets, including our Messiah Jesus of Nazareth. And that is the gospel of the kingdom of God. And if you if you're new to the channel, if you never heard that message displayed in a succinct way, go to my playlist here on the channel under new, uh, new subscribers playlist. And that's like the first two videos is I break down the gospel of kingdom of God with a lot of scriptures to help you understand that's your central backdrop that everything should fall against. Right. And that's going to help you determine whether the information you're reading lines up or not. Okay. Is it consistent and valid? So um, one second, we had a lot of people in the chat. I appreciate you guys. Um, all right, let's listen to a little bit more of this and we'll stop.
1: Okay. We're told that God is mysterious. Okay. Who can understand God's will? Okay. And yet this is precisely, this merely human understanding of God's will is precisely what believers use to establish his goodness in the first place. You know, something good happens to a Christian. Some, he feels some bliss while praying, say, or he sees some positive change in his life, and we're told that God is good okay but when children by the tens of thousands are torn from their parents arms and drowned, we're told that god is mysterious this is how you play tennis without the net okay and i want to suggest to you that it is not only tiresome when otherwise intelligent people speak this way it is morally reprehensible
0: all right guys here we go here's another attack here's another moment where he just twisted the flood narrative and the story of the flood from genesis 6. And to say that you're you're playing tennis without a net because God can just kill these people without reason, without a cause. It's not at all. He actually gives the cause in Genesis chapter 6 that every man was was evil in his heart continually. This was a problem. But the people that weren't, they were saved. So the, again, this all of it rests with, even if this guy does truly know the scriptures that he's ignoring in the context thereof, it rests in the heart that they reject the actual judgment of God. So this is where we get the problems. And then of course he tries to make, remember he employs the same idea of subtle mockery. He just does it in a little sophisticated way. And with that mockery comes trying to draw the audience to him because he just made a really uninformed point. So he needs the audience on his side so they can forget about the bad logic that he's using or the, the lack of knowledge that he's criticizing against the scriptures. You know what I mean?
1: Okay, this kind of faith is, is really is the perfection of narcissism. God loves me, don't you know? He he cured me of my eczema. He he makes me feel so good while singing in church. And and just when we had given up hope, he found a banker who was willing to reduce my mother's mortgage. Okay. Given all the all that this God of yours does not accomplish in the lives of others. Given, given the, the misery that's being imposed on some helpless child at this instant, this kind of faith is obscene. Okay, this, to think in this way is to fail to reason honestly or to care sufficiently about the suffering of other human beings. And if God.
0: So, yes, Crazy Talker, this is what you see frequently when you're trying to speak to a very uninformed atheist or even just an unbeliever in general is they they take these atheists arguments and they try to pin everything on just blaming god and ignoring like i said the actual context of the story or the actual behavior of the people right this is why we heard him talking a minute ago about um well let's remember he was talking earlier about the uh, the millions of children like you said 9 million children die under 5 years old and he's trying to draw how that's a horrible thing why doesn't why doesn't the father why doesn't the creator save them all right, so let's look at something else real quick. I, I queued up for you guys. Um, I thought I did. <laughs> I thought I did. One second. I second. Let's see if I can find this real quick. Because we're going to hear his stance on abortion at the same time, and it, it may um, it may infuriate you. One second. Where did that go? This is my struggle with the live stream. I thought I had these all queued up and ready. And now I'm not so sure. So once up oh, one second. All right, one second. I think I may have saved that.
1: There it is. Okay. Call him pro-life. I think.
0: All right. One second, guys. Can everyone hear this? I think he said that he found the chat.
1: abortion, uh, depending on the stage at which it occurs in in a pregnancy, to be a, a serious ethical concern and not to be entered into lightly. And and I, I certainly agree with that. I would never call myself pro-life. I'm I'm certainly pro-choice in the conventional sense, but. You know, I don't think anyone should be eager to have a late-term abortion, and I can't imagine anyone is. Now, where one draws the line between it being a trivial loss of uh, a few dozen cells and something more akin to a murder of an infant, uh, that's not obvious. And our, uh, the convention of, of breaking a pregnancy into three trimesters and considering the first 12 weeks to be more or less a time of at which one is free without any ethical concern to choose to terminate a pregnancy. I don't know that there is a, a neurologically principled stand to take there. I, I'm not close to this developmental literature at this point. I don't know what we know about. Okay, guys. So
0: not only he's he's already acknowledged that he accepts regular abortion, he's just talking about late-term abortion, that he thinks that that's, that's something that he thinks is uh, morally questionable right? But he's already completely okay with regular abortion. So he's okay with 60 million children being killed since 1960-something in the United States alone through abortion, yet he's complaining about 9 million children who've already been born and die under the age of five. So this is the, the, incompatible, the inconsistency that you're going to see in a lot of their arguments. Now, this is just one specific argument from this one specific gentleman. But the, the whole idea is that all of it, Supersedes the idea of understanding what God says because you know Enoch sixty nine verse seven talks about the the fallen watchers. They're the ones that actually showed mankind how to destroy the embryo in the womb. You know, and I believe it's in Exodus twenty one where you actually have um, if a man strikes another woman and the uh, baby the baby dies as a result, then I believe the man dies. Help me out in the comments with that, guys. If you know that specific scripture, um, let me see if I can pull it up real quick. I think it's in Exodus 21, which is also protecting the unborn baby. So, see if I can find it real quick. Okay, yeah, here it is. I'm going to screen share this with you, with everyone. All right, so this is, here we go. So if you guys can see this, it says if if a man struggles with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there's no injury, he shall be surely fined as the woman husbands may demand of him. So that's that's basically saying the baby's okay, but the man still has to pay according to the woman's husband for accidentally striking the wife during this this fisticuff so it's you know how it's it kind of it makes me laugh because it, it i can see the scene in my head right and this is the father anticipating this in his torah he's trying to explain to people like if two dudes are fighting and the one of the women jump in which happens all the time when two dudes fight so if two dudes are fighting and the woman jumps in and she gets struck oh and by the way if she's pregnant yeah so there's all these these caveats these uh circumstances that go into this and this one's talking about two different concepts if the baby's okay and if the baby's not okay if the woman's accidentally struck in a, during a fight, but verse 23 says, but if there's any further injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand or foot for foot, burn for burn a wound for wound bruise for bruise. You see what I'm saying? So this is, um, this is a big deal, right? If you're going to strike an unborn a mother and the baby dies, who's unborn as a result, well, you get some serious penalty. Right, this is a huge deal. So there's actual protection for the unborn. Um, that's that's in God's word, right? And then we were told in First Enoch that the whole idea of abortion was shown to mankind before the flood. I mean, it's this is you know this again. This is a foundational concept that you have a very prominent philosopher slash atheist critic of God, basically is what I'd like to call him, who who is truly captivating millions of young men in the United States and probably in other countries because of his prominence with very, very uninformed and bad arguments. That's basically like me trying to, I don't know, trying to uh, use a a blender and I didn't read the instructions and instead of pushing the buttons and plugging it in and pushing the buttons, I just, I, I left it unplugged and then I kept pushing the buttons and nothing didn't work. And then I complained, or I plugged it in. And instead of putting food in the blender, I put my hand down in there and then turn it on. And then I'm mad cause I'm injured. See what I'm saying? Then I'm mad at, at the blender and I'm mad at the, the wall socket and then I'm mad at, you know, the, the guy that sold it to me at Walmart. You see how all this weirdness goes? It ignores personal responsibility. It ignores the actual instruction manual for what you're supposed to be doing and it just start randomly blaming everything out of ignorance and uh, it's just really it's really frustrating, right? Okay. So we got some more comments. I'll check them out real quick. And guys, I think I'm going to jump out of the, uh, in the, in the podcast for tonight. I don't want to keep you too long here with me, but I appreciate everyone that's been here. It looks like Russell's LaFleur is saying, what's funny to me is that he's arguing points that can only be valid if objective morality exists. He infers that killing babies is wrong in his argumentation. He makes zero sense to me, but yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, And that's actually, you know, he's, he's William Lane Craig. Many of you guys may know who William Lane Craig is. He's the person in that debate that we were watching against Sam Harris. And I believe it's a debate from Notre Dame back in like 2012. Um, Oh, and good news guys. We're actually on Wednesdays. We're actually going to be covering arguments from believers. So that's going to be a new con, a new, very tactful approach. I'm going to try to do here for this channel. We've never done that before. Uh, We've vaguely spoken about other ideas that are taught out there, but we've never just out out and out showed clips of other preachers, pastors, or apologists and spoken and addressed in conversation about their arguments. So Monday nights, we'll we'll deal with uh, arguments from the world, right? Wednesday nights, we'll deal with arguments from the body of believers, and we'll look to see if they're scripturally accurate or not. So. And then uh, tomorrow, tomorrow, I've got a fun uh, show as well, because we're going to be talking about different uh, different concepts. So to stick with us tomorrow, we're going to be going over, um, as always, fun, hopefully engaging ideas about Scripture. But then on Thursday, we're going to actually be interviewing someone and um, it may be pre-filmed, it may be live. I'm not sure yet because of the timing, but um, but we'll, we'll have an interview with someone and you'll get to see some of the stuff that we talk about employed live. So. But uh, it will always be nice, as always. You know, it's the whole idea is to create loving conversation and just find out how other people think and what gets them, what has led them to those conclusions. You know, that's the bigger idea. Um, let me see here. John Williams, he's asking, how do you burn a child? In the-? I'm not sure exactly what, what question you meant for that or how do you. Um, I'm not sure exactly what you mean by the question. I apologize, man. You have to clarify a little bit. Um, okay. Let me look up here. I think you made another comment that you might be asking about. What if someone inadvertently dies during eye removal? Does the family of the guy get to kill the plaintiff from the original case? Um, during eye removal? I'm, okay. Yep. Sorry, brother. We're gonna, we're gonna pass on that. So I'm not sure if, um, If your questions are either uninformed or if they're trolling, the trolling will stop immediately and we'll welcome you to watch from a distance, but maybe I'm just misunderstanding your questions. So uh, let me see here. Yes, David Shearer. There is a lot of pastors and teachers preaching weird, weird things. Yeah. Okay. So John, I think you're trying to clarify. Exodus 2125 says burn for burn. It's about uh, recompense and compensation. Okay, so if a life is taken, you suddenly get into the death penalty territory in Torah. But if an actual value is lost, whether it be an eye, right, whatever the substantial value that the judge determines is compensation for that, that is what is paid. Just like with um, many of their sins of against one another in the community in the Torah, it was a you didn't literally go and pull someone else's eye out if they accidentally hurt your eye and caused you to lose your eyesight. You would get compensated. Uh, just like you do in, in civil cases today, you would get compensated uh, for the loss of that value, whatever the judge determined that value to be. So that could cost you your whole livelihood. So that it could be a bet, depending on what the injury was and how it played out, it could be very bad. So, um, all right. So we got a question here. Love and patience is the only way to win them. No matter what, we must always. Yes. And XP is asking a quick question. She's, uh, he is asking, are demons tormenting people in hell? Well, that's where I would say we need to define the word hell. And that is a very vague English translation of a word. But if you go back to the Greek and the, and the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, it's a word for Sheol. And the equivalent in the Greek is called Hades. So it's not a place where people, where demons just rule the area. According to 1st Enoch, the the area of the underworld called Sheol or Hades in the Greek, that that place is guarded by angels. So it's actually, there's organization to what's going on. There's different compartments to it. And from what I can understand from how it's explained in the modern canon of 66, as well as 1st Enoch, that there is two compartments for mankind. And then there's another compartment for the unclean spirits. So they're not connected with each other. Okay. There's not, it's not a Catholic version or a, even what's in some Protestant churches they teach this idea that oh that if you're if you reject Christ you're going to go to a hell where demons can just torment you forever that is not in scripture 100% not in scripture the unclean spirits have been um they're under the control on the earth they're under the control of hasatan or, or this uh, this uh satan character the enemy the accuser of the brethren the ones that were locked away after the flood. The other nine tenths of them, as Enoch chapter fifteen and, and Jubilees chapter ten explain to us, they're locked away in the place of condemnation, which is their compartment of Sheol, and they're not getting out, and they're not going into the other compartments of Sheol and messing with people. So um, that's where they're they're basically um, confined in their own place. They've they're serving their time to they await judgment um, because of the what they did when they had a body and were on the earth. If that makes any sense, so if you've never seen it before, go check out on my playlist here. It's called Honor of Kings Season One, and it's uh, episode seven. We we expound upon Sheol, Tartarus and the Prison of of Angels or the Prison of the Stars. Excuse me. So we we expound upon these ideas and how they're described in Scripture. So that might be a really good video for you to check out. Um, real quick, I'll I'll take one more question and. All right, this looks like uh, Linda Carr is asking, can you explain how some verses sound as though God made some or destruction? I'm not sure, Linda Carr, I'm, I apologize. I'm not sure if there was a typo or can you explain how some verses sound as though God made some or destruction? Um, maybe to say made, made some for destruction. I'm not sure. And, and that sound if if that's what you're saying, it sounds like a typical uh Calvinist argument. Yeah, yeah, made some people for destruction. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like a typical Calvinist argument from Romans chapter nine. I think it's verse 21. And that's just a, in my opinion, and from my understanding of scripture, huge misunderstanding um, of just the whole context of Romans chapter nine and what Paul's trying to get to, as well as the idea that you know, from the very beginning, right. That it's not his, his will that any should perish, but that all should come to, to saving faith and all should come to salvation. So this whole idea, um, is, is, uh, is not something like Calvinists teach that some people are just made so that they can, you know, that they never had a chance to, to repent or to be saved in the end, you know, and that's, uh, we do not teach Calvinism here and we do not, Um, believe that that is an accurate doctrine at all. And yes, the wording, just like with a lot of what Paul's writings, it can be difficult to understand if you don't understand the Old Testament, the prophets. So yeah, there's no one, everyone is judged. Everyone can repent um, in their lifetime before they die. So what happens after that, that's where the context comes in of what you're talking about. That's a different story. But if we're talking about men in their lifetime, everyone can repent before they lose their physical body and await judgment. So all right, guys, there's a lot of people. Yeah, Lindcart, check out the last 10 minutes of this. We just addressed the idea of hell. So you have another question that came up, and, and I think you may have either gotten here late or you didn't hear my answer earlier. Uh, I just addressed that and um and I just gave you a video reference that you can check on my channel that helps you go down in great depth. So you're welcome to go check that out. All right, guys. Um thanks for thanks for showing up, everyone. This has been an interesting experiment, my first podcast. Yeah. So uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe. But also, guys, remember you have to go to my new channel. It's Kingdom Cast, and it's on my channels list, my recommended channels list on my on my Kingdom in Context channels, and that's where you can subscribe for my Kingdom Cast podcast. So I cannot actually start live streaming according to YouTube on that new channel until I reach a thousand subscribers. So help me, help me go reach a thousand subscribers, and uh, and that way we can actually I can do all these podcasts solely over there. Um, But in the meantime, I'll be doing them over here and I appreciate everybody being here and, you know, joining us tonight. Remember, our goal here is so that we can learn, we can seek and desire knowledge, wisdom and understanding so that we can better understand the world and his word and better relate his word to this world. So that's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for you and everyone watching. And uh, I just hope that everyone is. um, Is is. uh, I hope everyone is going to join me tomorrow night for another exciting podcast. So I'll...